She is a digital marketing specialist who can spin the meanest website around. And he's host of the TV show Buzz, which features nonprofit organizations receiving marketing makeovers. Here on Buzz for Good, we talk all things nonprofit, the people they serve and the good they do. And we talk to creative professionals and provide marketing tips and tools to help your nonprofit achieve more. That's right. Buzz. Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome to Buzz for Good. And I hope you all are enjoying a wonderful 4th of July weekend. In honor of this weekend, we are featuring... Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia, which on Monday, the 4th of July, will be hosting its annual Four on the Fourth race at the Vinton War Memorial. It's a vital fundraiser for the organization, and in honor of that, we're going to have a conversation with the Boys and Girls Club's CEO and former Roanoke City Council member, Michelle Davis. We are also going to feature some moments of our most recent episode of Buzz, our TV show. Uh, It aired last week on June 29th on Blue Ridge PBS. You can still watch it on our YouTube channel at Buzz for Good. And that episode featured Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. So we'll talk about that in a moment. I am Michael Hemphill, creator and host of the TV show Buzz that airs on Blue Ridge PBS. And on each episode, we feature a nonprofit organization receiving a marketing makeover from a team of professionals affiliated with the American Advertising Federation of Roanoke, who donate their time and talent to help these nonprofits achieve more buzz. You can stay connected with us throughout the week at our website, Buzz for Good, that's Buzz, B-U-Z-Z, number four, good.com, as well as on our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube channels at Buzz for Good. I want to thank our sponsors, Freedom First Credit Union, where people bank for good. Find out more at freedomfirst.com and the Roanoke Cultural Endowment, supporting the work of some 30 different arts and cultural organizations throughout the Roanoke Valley. More at RoanokeCulturalEndowment.org. Now, Monday is the 4th of July, and it is the day of the annual Four on the Fourth race that raises money for Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia. You can still register for the race all the way up to its 8 a.m. start time on Monday at the race site, which is the Vinton War Memorial. Or you can go to fouronthefourth.com. That's four, F-O-U-R. O-N-T-H-E, number four, T-H dot com. So four on the fourth, or just Google four on the fourth, Roanoke, and you'll find it there. Uh, You could also go to the Boys and Girls Club's website. That's B-G-C-S-W-V-A dot O-R-G. And to talk a bit about this race, and more importantly, the amazing work that Boys and Girls Club does throughout the Roanoke and New River Valleys. I caught up earlier this week with Michelle Davis, CEO of the nonprofit, and we will pick up our conversation there. The, the first and foremost question that comes to my mind is how come you get to be CEO, whereas so many other nonprofits have to be led by just an executive director? Oh, I love that question. Um, so it's actually a pretty simple response, which is that Boys and Girls Clubs of America calls all of its executive directors CEOs. And the reason being, um, running a for-profit and a not-for-profit, as it turns out, the only difference is really in the accounting. 
Um, and so they felt like there was an opportunity there to try and equalize the professionalism of the mm -hmm. people that they have running their organizations versus people who are running, you know, businesses and call themselves or a for-profit business and call themselves CEO. So I always like to argue too, at the end of the day, what I do is a lot more difficult because I don't have a widget to sell. Right. You know, being able to make our payroll, we have 143 people on payroll right now, being able to make payroll um, really is uh, is by selling the dream or the idea that we can really benefit the community and do something together. Um, so I don't have a, I don't have a widget to sell. It's just the stories of the kids who, you know, have these incredible outcomes and bright futures and um, really, you know, have have really incredible lives because of the services that that we're able to offer um, from ages five through 18. Yeah, well, I definitely want us to cover some of those uh, personal stories that make such, you know, compelling work for you. You know, and and my personal grudge when it comes to nonprofits, you know, nonprofits are always told, oh, you know, you need to op operate more like a business and yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm sorry. There's no profit to be made in, you know, helping the homeless or right. in providing food for someone who uh, is in need. Or in your case, there's no profit to be made in providing after school and summer programs for low income children throughout the area. And so- yeah. You know, so I, I appreciate the desire to be viewed more professionally with with yeah. CEO versus executive director. But at the same time, come on, folks, cut nonprofits a little slack here because, you know, there's that they're operating under a different economic model altogether. And yeah, it's certainly it, it is interesting. And it's been really interesting, too, I would say, during COVID, as you know, there has been federal money available both to for profits and nonprofits. But really the federal money went to for-profits first. Yeah. So even if you remember the first round of PPP lending, um, it was uncertain at first whether or not nonprofits were gonna be able to qualify for that. And I think it became really apparent that the work that these nonprofits do, if there isn't anybody making any donations because they aren't working, then the entire you know infrastructure of our country was gonna be up a creek without a paddle because we didn't have anybody that was going to support the work that was still needed. So childcare being a great example of something that was really necessary in order to get people back in the workplace, but in low cost childcare, like boys and girls club or free, um, depending on, on what your location, then how was that going to get paid for and how are we going to stay open? And so I think it really has actually helped elevate the nonprofit to a different level um, as we've all worked to just keep our doors open. Right. Lovely. Lovely. Well, once again, I'm with Michelle Davis, CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia and featuring her uh, this weekend of 4th of July, because on the 4th of July, uh, Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia has its annual four on the 4th uh, race uh, that's going to be at Denton War Memorial. And we're going to come to that later, that four miler that takes place on July 4th, big fundraiser. We'll talk about that later. But first of all, Michelle, I want to rewind in time a bit because so where you and I first met each other, and actually, I believe it was about 10 years ago, hard to believe, but I had just started work as the uh, new director of development and marketing at the Science Museum of Western Virginia, right as we were about to move back into center in the square following this massive renovation. Mm -hmm. And I was tasked with hiring a marketing manager. Mm -hmm. And I get this lovely resume across my desk from one Michelle Davis. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, she would be spectacular just given her qualifications. And I remember calling you up 
And, you know, you being very business-like, one of your first question was, well, what's the salary scale? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had been authorized to offer up to a particular paltry amount. And, <laughs> and you were very polite, but you basically said, you know, I'm looking for something a little better than that. Well, you're missing one piece of the story, Michael. Okay. Which is that, so it would have been a little over nine years ago because I was pregnant with my daughter at the time. Mm. So I had a family that I was having to figure out how in the world I was going to take care <laughs> of my family. And, uh, and so it would have been like, my daughter just celebrated her ninth birthday right. two days ago. Okay. So it, would have been yeah. little, it would have been about nine and a half years ago um, yeah. that I was trying to figure out Oh man. So it looks like having a kid is going to be really expensive <laughs> and it's been great running this business, but I uh, probably am going to need to have a regular paycheck here for a while. So right. that was the point in time in my life when you and I met, that is correct. Yeah. And so you then though, uh, got a job uh, managing the Roanoke market building. Correct. Yeah. And did that for I don't know, what, three years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So the market building had been renovated. If you remember back in 2010, 11, mm -hmm. and um, it was the renovation happened very quickly. I would probably say it was rushed. Um, there was a timeline imposed on trying to get that building reopened within a year's time, time frame. And uh, it, it, it when it reopened, it was not fully leased and the vibe in the market building. So anybody who obviously has been around Renwick for a long time will remember taking field trips, perhaps in my case, when you were a kid and you were in school and, you know, the market building was so cool because it was, it was this indoor food court. We got to run around. Mom and dad gave us a $5 bill and we could get pizza and candy and <laughs> while we were going to the, to the science museum. And um, so it was so much fun. And when it reopened, it just wasn't the same building anymore. And even though people wanted the change because the old building was pretty dirty, um, you know, it still, it took, it has taken people so long to get used to and appreciate the renovation that was done. And so I was brought in to try and really bring attention to the market building, get it fully leased was a big part of my responsibility yep. and um, get people interested in coming back out there again. So, I mean, we tried everything from a marketing standpoint. We did movie nights. We put on major events in Market Square. Um, and I think slowly but surely people are are getting, are, I mean, you know, most people nowadays don't even remember the old market building. So Right. That was, that was <laughs> almost before my time. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what was the big takeaway from your time there when it comes to, you know, advice for nonprofits? What did you learn from that experience? You know, I think one of the coolest things about the market building is the public-private partnership. That was the first experience I really had working in that environment where, you know, the city of Roanoke owns the building, but it's run by a board of directors. And that relationship had to be set up because new market tax credits were used to fund the renovation. So that was the structure that was required. And then in addition to that, I actually reported to the management company that was managing the building as well. So it was this, um, you know, I like to say I had three very disparate groups of bosses, all of whom need, needed to be kept happy. And um, so understanding those kind of stakeholder relationships was really it was a learning uh, on the fly, but I think that true public 
private relationship or partnership where you've got the city who is invested because it's important. It's a public entity. It's important that that the citizens have this, um, you know, as a part of the downtown landscape. And so you had that that city funding that was coming in each year. But on top of that, we had to make ends meet on our own. And so we had these um, the city still funds it today to about $300,000 a year. And mm-hmm. then we had to put on these events. And so the charter hall event space up top, which I came from an event planning background, um, you know, getting that rented out, um, finding what the right balance was and price points with that space. And then really, I loved the part of working with the individual small businesses downstairs. They were mostly restaurants. We did have a couple of retailers that we were trying to really recruit those retailers back in the building as well. Um, But really helping small businesses with a a, a collaborative plan on how we were going to market, what we could do to try and make sure those businesses would be successful, um, trying to get foot traffic in the building to benefit everybody. So that that collaborative atmosphere, I think, has been the most helpful that I've really carried on into my next line of work, which is this one, Boys and Girls Club. Excellent. Well, but there was a, a critical few years in between that job and this job, where mm-hmm. in 2016, you became the youngest person ever elected to Roanoke City Council. Yeah. No, the youngest female ever elected. I uh, will correct you, you on that. There okay. was a there was a male that was elected that was a few years younger. Okay, yeah, youngest female. Right. Well, what? Uh, so that was in 2016. What inspired you to even do something like that? Yeah. Well, so here's the fun part of it. Um, city council is a part time job. So I did simultaneously after being elected to city council, took the job at Boys and Girls Club. So those two things were pretty much simultaneous in my yeah. head. Um, so it was, and and the fact that we have city council members, you know, who are helping to govern and create policy for a city of 100,000 people, but they're doing it literally on a part-time basis is just insane. That's something that I wish we could get fixed at the state level. Yeah. We, the city deserves full-time council members. Um, so what inspired me to run was that we, as a community had really been focused on this outdoor branding, the amenities that we have that are drawing these young families to Roanoke. And so there's a real talk back in 2015 and, you know, 2013, 2015 about young families, getting people to move here, trying to grow the population base so that we have a stronger economic base, you know, for our, for our community. And, and to do that, Um, You know, we wanted to really talk about all these great opportunities. The cost of living was low, easy access to the outdoors, great jobs was a part of that conversation, although I think we were still really working to get those great jobs. And so I just kept looking at city council and thinking, how come we don't have someone on council that really embodies that. We don't have, you know, a young mom on council who really can talk about, this is a great place. I feel like my kid is safe here. You know, I have opportunities here, you know, as a female at the board table, as well as, you know, in the sandbox. And so all of these different kinds of, of, of opportunities that we're really trying to market, I didn't feel like was being represented, represented on council. So we kind of had a group of young families that were talking about how we could help and, you know, just not just sit around and complain, but actually do something. And I, the, it's so much more fun to complain though. I I know, I know, right. (laughs) Well, the real story is, so, you know, my daughter was 
probably two and a half at that point, two years old. And uh, I had gone upstairs to put her to bed one night when we had people over just to chat about what we were going to do. And by the time I got back downstairs, they're like, so you're going to run for city council, right? <laughs> and uh, I didn't, I didn't say no, it wasn't really an ask. It was more of a, you're the only one that's crazy enough to do that. So yeah. you're going to do it. And I was like, you know, yes, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Bravo. Bravo. Hey, well, yeah. Once again, uh, here with uh, Michelle Davis, CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia, uh, featured here on this 4th of July weekend because on the 4th of July, Monday, Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia will be hosting its annual four on the fourth uh, race, uh, taking off and ending at the War Memorial. And we'll get back to that in just a second. You can still register for the race, I assume, but we're going to talk about that in a little while. But uh, uh, go ahead and mark your calendars for Monday, 8 a.m. for the four on the fourth race benefiting Boys and Girls Club. Uh, So you said simultaneously, you're Mm -hmm. uh, on Roanoke City Council and Mm -hmm. you're now CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia. Um, What did you learn about nonprofits while serving as a Roanoke City Council member? Was there one Um, takeaway? Yeah, well, so one I was going to throw out there, and this actually is one of the answers to this question. One of the things I learned about nonprofits is that it was really important that I was elected to Roanoke City Council as an independent council member, not affiliated with any party. Um, Yeah. I very, yeah, well, I quickly had people who were considering making donations to Boys and Girls Club, who knew that I was also in the city council role, who would ask, I mean, unabashedly asked, yeah. well, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? And when I could say I was an independent and elected as an independent, mm-hmm. it kind of calmed that conversation because people were very one or the other and didn't want to support the entire organization if I went the wrong way. Right. So it, that was a really interesting, you know, the, I, I still today believe that all council members should be elected as independents. Mm-hmm. Party affiliation should not matter mm-hmm. um, at the local level. And so, you know, I stand by that. But um, the other things that I think were really important was I, I was able to learn the work of all the other nonprofits mm-hmm. in Roanoke. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the city typically funds nonprofits through their human services um, uh, budget process each year. I think it's usually about $400,000 that the city of Roanoke um, is giving out each year through its budget process. And so that has been, you know, I was able to really learn a lot about the other, the work of other nonprofits, other youth serving nonprofits, um, the folks who are really helping take care of, you know, the parents that I oftentimes were seeing come through our doors too. And so just having those relationships with the other CEOs, and executive directors at the other um, nonprofits became really, really important. Um, and more, much, much, much more so once we launched into COVID because we all had that relationship that was already existing and we were able to jump to action really quickly to work together as a network to try and, and create some, um, I, I would guess I would call it a safety net really for some of those families we were afraid we were really gonna lose during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of my big causes with Buzz is trying to feature the work that nonprofit organizations do. And you know, I look around some of the episodes that we have covered uh, on our show, you know, uh, Ram House, helping uh, homeless individuals mm-hmm. in Roanoke, uh, Feeding Southwest Virginia, uh, Southwest Virginia Ballet, 
uh, Mill Mountain Zoo. I mean, on and on and on. And all these nonprofits um, are doing what I would consider vital work in the community. And I'm wondering, I mean, I wish that there was some kind of analysis that was done for individual citizens, taxpayers to recognize how much taxes are being saved mm. because we have this nonprofit system in place. I mean, is there any any numbers that you know about that, you know, like what would the city's budget have to be in order to fulfill all of the services that nonprofits currently provide? That's such an interesting question. And I don't have an answer to that, Michael. And I think, I think that we could do that. Um, I actually, I mean, as soon as you said it, I've got some folks in mind that I think we could put that data together. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me get back to you on that specifically. I do know, you know, from the boys and girls club perspective, um, we do sometimes talk about, unfortunately, what the cost of incarceration is and how by having youth within, you know, our after school and uh, summer programs, we are saving the cost of incarceration typically. So it's not, I don't, I don't ever want to say it's a one-to-one, right? We don't, I mean, obviously every kid who comes to our program is not at risk at going to jail, but we do have kids that we know who by having activities after school, by having an adult who expects them to show up after school, not to go hang out on the street corner, not to go hang out in their friend's basement, whatever it is, but they are expected that they are going to show up at Boys and Girls Club because they are potentially working for us, earning a paycheck. You know, they are helping us give out snacks to the younger kids and, you know, participate in sports activities or whatever that is that we know we're able to keep them um, on a path that they see an opportunity for their future that exists outside of just that little kind of insular world that a lot of our kids live in these days. Um, Made even smaller, I would say by social media. One of the great um, kind of myths of social media is that it connects you. And yet I think so much, so often it actually just with our kids, it it kind of, it has, it causes them to withdraw. Mm. So um, yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the numbers that we use sometimes. Um, I don't like to I don't just talk about our kids as being at-risk kids. Yes, some of our kids are at risk, but some of them are at risk for being bored <laughs> versus at risk of going to jail. So, um, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about our kids and their, their strengths and their opportunities, not just the um, uh, issues that they may be facing at home or in, in their life. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, it's just you know, a question that I often consider is, you know, you know, other countries don't have the same nonprofit structure that we do, but they because certainly they pay have taxes and their government and their government provides. Government yeah. provides so much, you know, the government takes care of the homeless and, and provides yeah. food and pensions and uh, after school programs and maternity care, uh, maternity leave yeah. and, uh, you know, preschool education and on and on and on. Anyway, I just. Anyway, I, I didn't know if, what, if you had a, a, a perspective on that with your time on Roanoke City Council. Now, you know, the perspective is that there's never enough to go around yeah. ever. And I think um, the city does everything it can to try and provide money to programs that are impactful. So if you can prove as an individual organization that you are impacting the community that you're serving or the population, the demographic that you're serving, 
Um, and that demographic is, is something that the city is concerned about. So whether it be the homeless, whether it be youth, um, you know, whether it be pregnant moms, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, the city really does do all that it can to try and support as many organizations as it can. Um, but the, it also, it supports in a way that um, they never want the city to be the primary funder. And I think that's important too, because if the city's the primary funder, then it might as well be a city, you know, it might as well be a governmental organization, not a non-governmental organization. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Nicely put. Uh, once again with Michelle Davis, CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia, which on Monday, July 4th, will be hosting its four on the fourth four miler fundraising race. Uh, starting and ending at Benton War Memorial. And now it is time to turn our conversation to the work the Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia does. Uh, You mentioned at the start of our conversation, these inspiring stories, personal stories of your kids. So is there one particular story that comes to mind? If If you could only tell one story about one of your kids to really connect with a potential donor or sponsor, what whose story would that be not by name of course but you know what's the situation (laughs) i have 40 stories i can't just tell you one all right well give me me a couple whichever well i'm gonna yeah so i'll tell you one and you know this goes to that let me tell you about the strengths of our kids not the opportunities where you know not 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 just the kids that uh that we worry about. So here's a a strength-based one. We um, have a scholarship fund that was just started less than two years ago. And we were able to, the scholarship was able to award $13,800 in scholarship funds this year to two students. One of the students was a student who had been with us in kindergarten when we had a club out in Bonsack. And we don't currently have a club in Bonsack. It was, you know, it was a couple of years, but at the time he was a kindergarten student and participated in an art contest that we do every single year for Black History Month. And this kindergartner drew a picture of Barack Obama and he got second place in the art contest across the entire club. And it's voted on by the public. It's in partnership with U.S. Cellular. And um, so they vote on it. He got second place and got a gift certificate. Or got, we do Visa gift cards as the, mm-hmm. as the prize. And I think it was probably like $200, pretty significant for a kindergartner. Yeah. But listen, that student graduated from high school this year and received one of our scholarships. And he is going to Savannah College of Art and Design and credits Boys and Girls Club and that Black History Month art contest as really kicking off his desire to be an artist. Um, His mom told the sweetest story when we were able to meet in person, um, sent us a really incredible photo of a piece of art that he has that's being hung somewhere in Washington, D.C. He's being honored with this art being hung in D.C. even before he gets to Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, And it was one of the coolest stories because here's this kid who, you know, what he got out of Boys and Girls Club was the opportunity to to explore his artistic abilities. Um, wow. So that's a really cool. This just wow. happened. Chills. And then, chills. Yeah, isn't it awesome? I mean, and and for those who haven't heard of the Savannah College of Art and Design yeah. or SCAD, as it's also known, I mean, that's like one of the top art schools in the country. Yep. Wow. Yep. Look, you gave me chills too. Wow. Um, yeah, so really that was awesome. And, you know, one of the other stories I would tell you is, um, 
We have another student this year who also received a scholarship award. He has been with us since kindergarten and has continued to be a club member every year. So you're thinking 13 years of being a boys and girls club member. And, um, and, this, and, and this student, this really incredible young man um, is going to JMU this year and was able to receive a scholarship as well. But he credits the club with being a place where he felt safe. And so as a young man, um, you know, his story, and he tells this publicly, um, I won't use any names, but um, he knew he's, he, he tells it that he knew he was different, couldn't really figure out what, why, um, you know, he is um, a tall, um, you know, just teddy bear of a human being. And he said, you know, I just knew that something was different, something was wrong. And he said, and I really felt like I was going to be made fun of. And so he said he, you know, started telling a couple of his peers at Boys and Girls Club. And um, it was the only place he felt safe to come out as being gay. Mm. And so he, as you know, a middle school and high school kid was really just tormented by, he had this stereotype that he felt like he was supposed to fulfill, which is, you know, this big African-American, you know, gentle giant of a human being. And, and so, and, and yet inside he had this, this feeling of, um, you know, that he didn't quite fit in. And it was a, um, mentor that he had through boys and girls club on one of his really dark nights, as he tells it, that he called and said, you know, I need help. Mm-hmm. And this mentor, um, who also is a, is a pastor, um, and had, had worked for us at certain periods of time, really great human being. And I do wish I could mention names, but I'm not going to just because these people are really incredible. Sure. Um, but took him out and said, you know, God loves you just how you are. And you don't need to worry about what anybody else thinks because you were made the exact way that you were supposed to be made. Um, and I wish you could hear the student tell the story because it's much more poignant coming out of his mouth than it is mine. But um, he's going to JMU this year. His family is incredibly proud of him. Um, we're lucky to know his whole family too. Um, has a younger sister who's still with us and really um, just inspires our kids every single day. He's working this summer um, and he's in one of the young classrooms, the first grade classroom. And it's so good for me to go back and see, you know, this incredible young man who was really already giving back to his community in that way too. So, Mm -hmm. Oh, well, two lovely stories. And I imagine those are two of just many, many stories that you have. I could, I could tell hundreds. (laughs) All right. Well, so Michelle, uh, give us the official elevator pitch for Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, Boys and Girls Club, um, you know, our our mission is to provide a safe place after school and during summer for our kids who need us most. And like I said early on in this in this interview, you know, the kids who need us most look different in every community we serve. Mm-hmm. So we're in Montgomery County, Franklin County, Renwick City, Renwick County and Salem. And it's not just it's not just a financial need always. Sometimes it's that there is literally nothing else to do. Um, we don't have any other opportunities for kids to be safe in that particular neighborhood. Or um, we've got one school that we serve in that has a large ESL population. And so, you know, their after school programming was not reaching the ESL population. So these kids were going, you know, home to empty apartments at the end of the day. And we were able to come in, provide free after-school care so that we knew all these kids were going to have a place right there within their school to stay until a parent could be home with them in the, in the afternoons. Um, 
during COVID, we were, I think, critically important. We were open for 57 weeks straight, providing all day care for kids. So to put that in perspective, we usually only are open all day during the summer for eight weeks during the summer, but we were open for 57 weeks to provide those virtual learning centers so that any parents who were back at work, or even if they were working from home, but couldn't get their work done and their kids' schoolwork done at the same time, their kids were with us and we had our staff working, you know, I remember walking into a first grade classroom one day during COVID and we had a staff member that was trying to work with six different first graders who were all on their laptops with their headphones on working with six different teachers. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was incredible. Our staff really showed up during COVID. Um, and I think it just really helped place some um, greater importance in the minds of the community on, on, Childcare, really. Um, it, it is not just, and I always try and differentiate, right? We are not just childcare. We are youth development, which means we're working not just on academics, and I think academics are incredibly important, but also teaching our kids how to live healthy lifestyles, whether that be healthy physically or healthy mentally. And then also making sure that our kids have opportunities to learn how to give back to their community so that when they graduate, they know that. It's not about how much money you have, whether or not you can give back. It's about your heart and what you do every single day to impact the community that you live in to make it better. Mm, Lovely. Lovely. How many kids do y'all serve each year? We're usually hovering around 1,100 um, total you served every year. Our goal is to get up to 1,200 um, and then hopefully up to 2,000 within the next five years. Um, So we've got opportunity. We've got space within our existing programs to grow. Our biggest hindrance so far has been hiring, just like this is Mm -hmm. where we get back to the CEO versus ED part, right? Which is that hiring for us has been just as difficult as hiring for any other um, business in town. And so we have had to compete in a way that, you know, we've got all of our starting wages up to $14.50, which I really am proud of. Um, And we want Yeah. Well, we want people to know too, that this is a profession, you know, it's not just the, the, a summer job for college kids. We love that, but there are opportunities within youth development or within boys and girls club, you know, to work even at the national level. And, Mm -hmm. um, there's tremendous opportunity within boys and girls club to, to, to grow your career. And we have several people who work with us, who have been with us 10, 11 years, who really are growing their career within boys and girls club. Wow. So listen up, everybody. Boys and Girls Club is hiring for $14.50 an hour. I mean, that's just the starting wage, Michael. We yeah. go up from there. Wow. wow. <laughs> Working for a CEO as well, not just an executive and not director. Not just an executive director. That's right. <laughs> Fabulous. All right. So Michelle Davis, CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Southwest Virginia. I imagine that you rely on fundraising to fund a lot of your budget. Um, w- one of those main events is mm-hmm. coming up on Monday, July 4th, four on the fourth race, uh, starting and ending at Benton War Memorial. Tell us about the race. Yeah, so this is our 11th year of this race. It predates my time at Boys and Girls Club. And it's in partnership with Fleet Feet. So, you know, it is a really well executed race, which I love. We have always done this race out of Roanoke City and I love doing it in downtown Roanoke. But this year, due to some staffing shortages, um, they didn't have the capacity for us to use our previous race route. Um, We didn't want to move it to the Greenway because I think we have a lot of races on the Greenway. So we made the decision to partner with the town of Venton this year. It's also one of our newest Boys and Girls Club locations, which is over there in Venton, serving Herman L. Horn and GW 
nope, GW Carver's in Salem, um, serving Herman L. Horn. Um, and it is out of the Vinton Baptist Church site, which is really cool. So we have a great community in Vinton that we're building. And so Vinton, the town of Vinton has partnered with us this year to put this race on. They have a lot of experience with Ironman coming through their town nowadays. So it's awesome. Um, the race route is phenomenal. I've personally run it. I couldn't walk for a couple of days afterwards, but that's because I'm not, <laughs> shape, not because the route is difficult. Um, and so we're just really excited. It's uh, we typically have around 600 runners who participate in this race. Okay. Um, I will tell you, our registrations are down this year. Mm. And I think there's two reasons. One new race route. People don't know where to park that <laughs> if yeah, you right. haven't done it before. You get a little bit, you get a little concerned. So I want to tell everyone there is plenty of parking available. You will not have an issue parking. That was one of the reasons we chose this location. But two, I think we've got a lot of people who are finally getting out of town for the first time in two years, especially with the fourth holiday being on a Monday this year. So even if you are out of town, we still have the virtual option this year. So we encourage everyone to please sign up. This is critically important for us. I'll tell you right now, one of our main needs at Boys and Girls Club is snacks for our kids. We are writing grants for snacks. We are asking, we're begging for snacks to be donated. In our summer programs, the federal feeding program, so even if whether we're partnered with Feeding Southwest Virginia, one of our feeding partners, or with the school systems, they only provide two meals a day. And that's wonderful, but we've got some kids with us from 7.30 in the morning until 5.30 at night. And so we are supplementing all of the rest of the food um, during the day. And I'll tell you- Oh, I was going to say, so one of the other issues is that the federal feeding program has the same portion size, whether you are five years old or 15 years old. And I don't know how many 15 year olds, you know, but they eat. And so we are having a lot of food. And so that's one of our biggest needs right now. And one of the things that this fundraiser really helps us accomplish um, as we close out summer camps and go into the next school year. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. So give me some details of the race as far as how much does it cost? Where would I go to register? Yeah. So the website, uh, we tried to make it real easy is four on the fourth.com, but F O U R on mm-hmm. the number four T H. So if you Google four on the fourth Roanoke, you'll find it no matter how you spell okay. all the fours and fourths, but um, it's through run sign up. Registration is $35. I believe it's still $30 right now. Um, okay. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, a great t-shirt this year. I always love, we've got um, press press March locally who does our t-shirts. It's a yep. beautiful, soft blue shirt this year. Um, okay. You've got medals. I will tell you our post-race party is one of the best. We've got Texas Tavern hot dogs this year. I mean, who doesn't love a hot dog at nine o'clock in the morning, but it Absolutely. is the 4th of July. Right? We have people that ask for them. And after We've running got, four miles, you can eat anything. Anything. We've got Krispy Kreme donuts at the finish line this year. Okay. We've got bagels. We've got watermelon. It is the perfect way to kick off your 4th of July holiday with your family. It's, it. you know, it's an opportunity to go out, get active and then come back and start the barbecues early. So we, we hope to see, and the weather's going to be good. We That's bet. one of the things yeah. we find people really hold off until the last minute to register, but the re- weather's going to be perfect this year. We do it early, get you back cold towel at the finish line and uh, some great post-race food. Nice. Nice. All right. So four on the fourth F O U R on the number four th.com. 
That's it. Yeah. Okay. So a, a four mile race that starts and ends this year. First time, new course, Vinton War Memorial, mm -hmm. uh, but plenty of parking. Yeah. A uh, lot of fun. Great food. Great cause. So uh, excited for you guys. And uh, I hope you have uh, just a spectacular turnout on Monday, July 4th. And I'll tell you too, Michael, we do our, we accept registrations right up to eight o'clock okay. on Monday morning. We also have a kids fun run that is available. And so we do that at nine o'clock at the same start finish line as the adult race. And so bring the whole family out. The kids can participate in the fun run. Um, there's no cost to register for the fun run unless you want a t-shirt. And then we just have a fee that covers the cost of the t-shirt for your kid. We'd love to have the whole family come out and, and participate. Lovely. And people want to do more than just uh, participate in the race for Boys and Girls Club. They can find out more about you guys at bgc as in boy girl club swva as in southwest virginia.org okay fabulous fabulous well you and i are going to be seeing a lot more of each other over the coming months because buzz our tv show is going to be featuring boys and girls club of southwest virginia on an upcoming episode and we're excited to be able to start that uh, production. I believe we're going to do end of summer so we can catch some of your summer programs at all of your locations. And then we will transition into the school year to then catch your after school programs. So, well, and I'll let the cat out of the bag. Sorry, don't get mad at me, Michael, but okay. it is our 25th anniversary this year. So it's That's one thing right. we didn't done, but we have been around serving this community for 25 years and uh, we're really going to um, hit it home this fall with a huge 25th anniversary celebration and you and Buzz for Good are a big part of that. So thank you for that. Michelle Davis, one more time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Buzz for Good and good luck on Monday for your four on the fourth. Michael, thank you so much. I hope everybody has a wonderful and safe holiday weekend. And don't forget, wherever you are, you can register for our race, even if it's virtual. So we hope everybody will show up this year in support of our kids. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, to find out more about Boys and Girls Clubs 4 on the 4th, go to 4onthe4th.com, F-O-U-R-O-N-T-H-E, number 4-T-H, 4onthe4th.com, or B-G-C-S-W-V-A.org. Speaking of websites, please stay connected with us at buzzforgood.com, B-U-Z-Z, number 4good.com. Uh, or on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Buzz for Good. And on our YouTube channel, you can find our most recent episode of Buzz that aired last week, June 29th on Blue Ridge PBS featuring Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. I am going to share some audio from the show here on today's Buzz for Good, and I hope it'll inspire you to go to our website or YouTube channel to watch the half hour show in full. It was really a, an inspiring, heartfelt episode featuring some amazing people and amazing families who were served by brain injury services. It's actually our 21st episode featuring nonprofits throughout Virginia and providing them with marketing makeovers to help them do more and better and achieve more buzz. In this first clip, you will hear Jody Judge, the executive director of brain injury services, along with marketing director, Alex Barge, and program director Stacy Nichols. They share the mission and the work of Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. I'm Jody Judge. I'm the executive director with Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. 
I am Alex Barge. I am Director of Development and Marketing with Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. Uh, we are a nonprofit that serves children and adults who have acquired a brain injury. So folks who have uh, maybe had a stroke, had a brain tumor, have fallen, have been part of a car accident. Our service area is the second largest service area in the state of just over 14,000 square miles. And so we, we run the gamut as far down as the very tip far southwest. We go all the way up to Allegheny and over to Campbell, Lynchburg, and then um, kind of south side central to uh, Charlotte and Halifax. Our services are person-centered, so it's based on the individualized goals that our consumers come to the table with. Uh, so we had a great story about um, a consumer, which is what we, we call our clients, consumers, who wanted to go into his backyard just to watch birds. And he was unable to do so because it wasn't accessible, because there was steps to go in the backyard. And, and so our case manager was able to find a local organization, Bland Ministries, who were willing to come out and build a deck for them. So they purchased supplies, purchased the supplies and built a deck. And so it's hard to convey that, I mean, it's easy to say Bland Ministries did this, but it's hard to convey that it would not have happened without a case manager finding the resources for him to, to do so. I'm Stacy Nichols. I'm the project director here at Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia for our telehealth services. So we have some programs where we provide things like mindfulness, or yoga, or music therapy, or art therapy, tai chi. Um, we have many, many different types of, of programs that we provide, and all of these are data-driven. Um, we know from the scientific research and the literature available that these programs are very beneficial to help our brain injury survivors uh, continue to learn and grow post-injury. We also offer a PALS program, and we're really excited about PALS. A lot of times you'll see after injury, because there's a change in the individual. Um, sometimes it's a change in, in mood, behaviors, or simply the ability to do some of the things that they were able to do before. Their friends drop away. They become more isolated. And so, although our other programs focus more on those things that keep them independent, there's still that need. There's still that need of socialization and companionship. And that's what PALS provides with volunteers um, throughout the community. Alex Barge witnessed brain injury services in action long before he started working there. As far back as he could remember, his mother struggled with a variety of mental and physical challenges. In 2011, she was diagnosed with having suffered a brain injury at a younger age, perhaps from an abusive relationship. Uh, Jody was actually her case manager, uh, and, and they helped her with getting organized. Uh, so she had challenges taking her medication, so they helped figure out a good system for her that worked for her to be able to independently do that. Uh, they helped her balance her budget, um, which I studied accounting in college, but she didn't want her son to help her balance her budget. Uh, she wanted to be able to do it on her own, but she, she was happy to accept the help of brain injury services for that. 
So we were founded in the year 2000 after Fran and Greg Rooker experienced a traumatic event with their son Jason Rooker. And it was out of that experience that they realized there was no one in our area that could assist families that had a loved one who had experienced a brain injury. So they developed the Jason Foundation, which then um, also founded Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. And they started in the New River Valley. And that is why the name Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia was the perfect name at the time. Um, also, uh, Jason uh, did a beautiful, uh, beautiful painting that encompassed these butterflies and it hangs in our office here as a reminder of why we're doing the work that we're doing. Um, and that is what um, um, caused us to choose the butterfly as our logo. Um, butterflies have a lot of meaning and um, you know there's that whole transformation that happens and that whole um, kind of evolution of miraculous change and transformation which is what we're trying to produce in our, in our families. So through the years, not only have we evolved like that butterfly, we're also grown and expanded to going from just serving the New River Valley to now our footprint of over 14,000 square miles. And so what we're trying to accomplish with choosing the best name for Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia is when people hear that, they know what we do and where we serve. Every other day we get a phone call asking if we're a doctor's office or a clinical services or uh, who don't quite understand what, what we do. I run into several participants a week who have difficulty recalling the name of our organization and, and they have warm feelings towards us and they appreciate what it is that we do, but it's very difficult when you have such a long name uh, for our participants who have short-term memory uh, difficulties to remember who we are. B-I-S-S-W-V-A, Bishwaz, kind of our, our nickname, but that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what we hope to get out of rebranding is better convey what we do, who we serve, and where we serve, and hopefully a shorter name. <laughs> it's a difficult process. We're trying to honor um, all that has been, as well as capturing our vision for all that is to come. So to help Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia, and indeed that is a mouthful, we invited in WordSprint a print marketing firm and a member of the American Advertising Federation of Roanoke. A WordSprint is based in Blacksburg and they were so generous in donating a pro bono rebranding for brain injury services. And you can see the amazing, fabulous designs and options that they created for the organization by just going to our YouTube channel or website and watching our show. Uh, I do want to play from our show the interviews we conducted with three families who are served by Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia, just to give you an appreciation and hopefully some awe for the work that they do throughout our region. Hi, I'm Macy Weinberger, and we live in Craig County, Virginia. Try to make I'm it. 17, I'm a senior, and I'm about to graduate. While WordSprint got to work, I decided to visit some families who have been helped by brain injury services. Families like Sherry Weinbarger and her daughter Macy 
a seemingly healthy young girl until the age of six when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. A surgery in 2011 removed most of the tumor, but she was left with a traumatic brain injury. Brain Injury Services has attended the individualized education plan, which is through the school, her plan for the upcoming year. She has been granted uh, funds for camps, like Camp Easter Seals, that gives her the chance to get away, to be with other special needs people. They um, found grants to help her to go to Healing Strides to do therapeutic riding. Macy is an avid horse lover. When Macy first started riding horses, she was only able to sit on the horse for about five or ten minutes. Now Macy can sit through an hour lesson and that has been a big uh, benefit for her, her ability to set up straighter, to, to have a little more balance. It's helped her to, to walk a little better. Now that she's 17 and moving into the adult world, Brain Injury Services will be helping to give us a direction in defining services for her work, for continued therapies, for camps, for her, her horse riding, which she dearly loves. They are uh, a wealth of knowledge in giving us information for modifications for the home to help assist Macy in um, being as independent as possible. I hope as Macy becomes an adult to give her as much independence as possible I hope she can live the fullest life that we can possibly give her. This has been a scary time in our life. We were given this healthy child and um, she, we were thankful that she is physically still very healthy. It's scary. Um, without brain injury services, we would be floundering. In Floyd County, I visited Rosara Perez Perez. A victim of both gang violence and an abusive husband, Rosara fled her native Mexico with her two sons. Her older boy, Brian, had suffered a brain injury at birth. With help from Tara Orlando, president of the nonprofit Floyd Friends of Asylum Seekers, Rosara shared her story with me. They've helped me greatly when I needed it most. Since I was about ready to go nuts, I saw my son, he was dying, he was, I was getting all these bills, hospital bills, ambulances, and I, I was like, what am I going to do, how am I going to do this, but thanks to them, and this organization, they helped us. They helped me pay these bills. So thank God now I don't have medical bills. And the medicine now that the child is taking are working. Before I was afraid because daily he was having issues. He would have these headaches or we thought he was going to faint or he was going to start having convulsions. But now no more. 
la organización, la organización de Bra yeah, brain um, services, injury ella services. Nos trajo materiales para piñatas, materials to make piñatas y, and y sí, ella y el grupo nos ha traído muchas and they brought us paints and uh, cuadros uh, uh, y también ella e nos trajo easels and um, um, paintbrushes and all the necessary things for painting. El niño le ayuda it helps him tremendously. Con, con arte, dolor, when he's starting to get his headache, dice, he would tell me, please, please come, let's go paint. So I stop what I'm doing and we start painting. And he'll start drawing and I'll start painting with him. And little by little, the pain starts to disappear and he's feeling better. Gracias al apoyo de ellos y de los del otro grupo también de que Thanks to the assistance we're getting, they've helped me quite a lot. Han ayudado mucho. Yo ya estoy más tranquila, pues pagaron I'm calmer. Yo debía en el hospital. Me han ayudado con They've helped me los niños. greatly. Tratan de hacerlo and they also helped me with the children, helping make them feel welcomed and give them things to keep them amused and occupied. Porque gracias a eso también el niño He says the, the child has changed a lot. He's now, it's obvious that he's much happier. Now he smiles and he laughs. Before, he was, he seemed like he was always mad. And now, now he's more motivated and he, he feels more alive and more excited to be alive. And in Roanoke, I met Francine Kasongo, a refugee from Congo by way of South Africa in 2016. In 2019, her car was struck from behind while she was driving, and she suffered a debilitating brain injury. And they took me to the ER. Right there, they didn't see something. But later, a few days later, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. For two years, Francine struggled just to move and experience the brightness of sunlight. These days, thanks to brain injury services, she's able to make daily walks to a Roanoke community garden where as part of her therapy, she tends a plot. When um, the first case manager meets me, they start right away helping me, to help me to find right, uh, right doctors, right place to go, and they were with me to all my appointments. How many appointments would you say? In one year, I had 131 appointments, doctor's appointments. I am having some uh, space at community garden that I, uh, my friend helped me to get there. So I'm working there by walking to that place and coming back. I can read. I could not read for five minutes. Now I can read for 15 minutes. And not just reading, reading and processing. I was not able to do that. I can process what I'm reading. Since I've been doing that is about two months. I started in end of February. I regained my right side. I regained my balance. I can say about 80% of my balance has come back. I was having trouble to walk. This leg, they were working on it every day. 
now I can walk without cane completely I can use my hands with no pain anymore sometime if the brain is acting I can have the pain now but without that I don't have much pain anymore so I like the kind of walking outside and this hill going down and up is a hiking I had the work and my heart was kind of beating so fast and I was getting tired palpitation all kind of feelings but my heart became stronger I'm sleeping better than ever so one more time I invite you to please go to our YouTube channel at Buzz for Good and watch the full show on Brain Injury Services of Southwest Virginia. Uh, again, it was our 21st episode uh, dating back to August of 2020 when we aired our first show. And so uh, your favorite nonprofits are featured on our show and we'd invite you to dive in deep and learn more about each of them and figure out ways that you can stay connected with them. I hope each of you enjoys a wonderful, safe and patriotic 4th of July weekend and that we all continue being a buzz for good, not only for this community, but this country that we all celebrate. <laughs>